Hey fans, we all love some good music. A variety of music. What if we could bring Chriswell Studios to you 24-7? That's a long work schedule. Maybe, but you know, we just might have it. The best variety of music for multiple decades live on your phone 24-7 with our Gay Orlando Live online radio station. Better known as Go Live. Download the TuneIn app and search for Go Live or go to ChristenWill.com for more info. Lots of new shows coming and holiday programming, so tune in! We're back! Yes, we are! Season 3 of What About Our Life, the amazing, universally recognized, and most talked about show. You can hear us on iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, Spotify, and now Amazon Music. For all the amazing information, links, and to hear our show online, go to our website at chrisandwill.com and follow us on Instagram at chris.and.will. And also follow us on Facebook under The Real Prince Charmings. What's this? What about our life? Is it that bad? No, what about our life with Chris and Will? Oh, the show that gets you talking. Yeah, and these two haven't stopped talking for three seasons. <laughs> you know, Willie, this past Saturday had a lot of tears. Even the wedding cake had tears. <laughs> okay, buddy. another great episode of what about our life with chris and will hi how are you guys it is the first episode after willie and i officially said i do yay (laughs) i don't know if that's thrilling or scary you know it's it's freedom and I know you would think, wow, you're getting married you're tying the knot no for me it's freedom because I'm closer to the one that I love, my number one. I've it's a it's a connection. It's amazing. Oh, I've got a puke. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so this week we are talking about classic entertainment as well as ceremony highlights. Ah. So let's kind of go right into it. Of course, the up. Uh, Official wedding will not be until 2021, which is the Disney extravaganza that we've been talking about. That'll be next year. Yeah. But we did want to go ahead and get it all legal and, you know, get it, get it set in stone because everybody's been pushing us to do it. Yeah. Do it (laughs) and do it, you know. And do it some more. Exactly. And, And, you know, we we did put together, it was a little private ceremony in our house. We had transformed everything from Halloween into Christmas in just a day or two. It was, wow, yeah. (laughs) Yes, our place was a disastrous mess. But uh, we did get it set up. Yes. And we had some footage that we showed our guests. Yeah. From the documentary that's going to be coming out very, very soon. Mm -hmm. And it was streamed online. So quite a few people got the experience by watching it online as well as um, being in person. Yeah. Yeah. If you did the total of amount of people we had... um, I would say almost a little close to about 
50, 60 people that have seen it. Yeah, yeah. That have seen it. Yeah, and, yeah. And we've gotten a lot of comments. I mean, we're still getting comments. Oh, my gosh. Today. And it's <laughs> been a, a little over a week. Yeah, yeah. So um, so it was exciting. We had a few technical problems. No big deal. No Every biggie. wedding has them, of course. But I think just like, you know, we've been together how, how long, you know, before we the whole married thing or whatever. We always get through we always we do you know i mean it's just when in that moment where it's like oh okay what do you do do you either shrivel up in the corner and go ah or do you just have this overwhelming confidence that says do what you need to do well, people enjoyed it and you yeah. know and we try we make a story out of it and we try to of make course. a story out yeah. of everything yeah. we do and uh part of that was is we wanted to not just do the oh okay i do here Bing, bing, boom. To us, that's we boring. To create I create a yeah. story. So we we're like, all right, well, we'll show some pieces from the documentary that are going to be used, get some behind the scenes footage that people have not seen yet. Uh -huh. So we showed that and we gave them the real Chris and Will experience by giving them more of our holiday stories and everything from our future because the Christmas tree that we have and that was up that was featured in the actual um showing and ceremony which will be in the documentary mm -hmm. as well is the very first christmas tree that kristen will ever bought Yay! and the, <laughs> the ironic story of that is is we were looking for a christmas tree and we could never find one we've gone to department stores mm -hmm. everywhere and we came across this one tree that we really really loved mm -hmm. but at the time it was like five six hundred dollars and we couldn't afford it so we ended up buying uh, one that was way less than that. Yeah. And I remember I brought Willie to work and dropped him off at work, went home, took the tree out, didn't do anything except put lights on it. And then he walks to the door when I went back and picked him up. And he's like, you went back and bought that tree. I go, no, I actually did not. You should have seen the expression on my face because I was surprised. I'm like, I thought we said we weren't going to get that. Yes. And, and just... Out of coincidence, the tree that we wanted that was too expensive was actually placed in the wrong box. Yep. So we ended up buying the tree that we really, really wanted for more than half the cost because it was boxed incorrectly. The one so, thing I yes. yeah, the one thing I really love about it, it's a full tree. I mean, like some of the trees nowadays, you know, they're skinny, they're very spaced out in like the middle parts, you know. And this one is just so it has not only so many layers, you know, when you're putting it together, but they're so close together, it fills in all everything. Yes. And you can get really creative and, you know, just do what you need to do with it. I mean, and it's also to me, I think maybe it's because it's over the years, but I think it kind of has the shape like a bell. It, it does. It <laughs> does. Well, you know, we'll post some pictures on our website. You can go to our website at chrisandwill.com. And uh, we will post some pictures of the ceremony as well as of the treat. So you can check it out yeah. uh, for yourself yeah. as well. And, you know, it was the first time Chris cried because Chris never really gets emotional about anything. Yeah. And I don't know <laughs> why I did because I had prepared that writing that I've been writing for years. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting here reading it. And I guess it was because everybody was staring at me. And there was so usually when I'm when I would say if I'm on stage, I'm at a distance from people. So they're not that close to me. But when this, everybody was so close to me that it was just like, I was feeling their own emotions. Well, I and so yeah. it was like, catch, it was really catching up. It was crazy. I usually don't cry, but unfortunately I did. Well, th that, and also think, 
you know, with whoever was watching it, I think you felt them too, you know? They did, because they were crying too. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, this is just nuts. And then, of course, our ring girls, our her, my, our friend of ours' daughters, yeah. uh, gave us our rings. It was so cute. It was interesting. Um, their very first wedding experience, mm -hmm. of course. So that was nice. That was nice. And then, of course, we catered the whole thing. We made the wedding cake and it, you know, all the food and everything okay, else. So, so we totally so, went so all over the place. I do got to say something about the cake. Okay. So Chris has, you know, cooked a lot of stuff, you know, uh, professionally and all that good stuff. But I will tell you, though, and I think you had mentioned this to me before. This is the first, like, professional wedding cake that you've baked. And I got to help put all the ingredients in and mix them up. And it was a lot of fun. But I do got to say, though, OMG, that cake was so good. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then, of course, our, our assistant helped decorate it. Yes. So we were so happy with yes. that. But yeah, it, you know, I've, were, I've helped with wedding cakes. I've never actually made the wedding uh -huh. cakes from scratch yeah. before. Now, I've made cakes before yeah. from scratch. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not a wedding cake. And not... Um, a wedding cake that tastes like a wedding cake. Mm -hmm. And so this was my very first and it came out, it did come out really good. So I'm very proud of myself for that. You should. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, a lot of people ask, well, what is it like to be married officially? And it's, like, you know, <laughs> we've been in this game for 20 something years. Yeah. It's really just like an ordinary day, I guess, yeah. in my opinion. It, it has a weight that's kind of lifted, I guess, more so for Willie than for myself. But yeah. At the same time, I it's a good feeling. Um, you know, it it's just it's it's the right feeling. Yeah. And I guess the reason why is because we've been around this for so long mm -hmm. that it just makes sense. So yeah. So yeah. So it's a good thing. So we're happy. We're Yay. happy. But you can go on our website and get all those lovely highlights. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. But um, but in any sense, we're here back into doing the groove of work and everybody, all the studios have been calling us, okay, you guys need to get back to work. And it's like, well, we're tired. Yeah. We have not wanted to do anything. Uh -huh. And we're just now getting our place back in line. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you, and then it's just it's just been crazy. Well, we also have we rearranged like some stuff and you know, just having everything, you know, go back to I don't I guess a norm for us, you know, like every day, like well, walking around. A, and There was a lot going on too. You know, yeah. And, and you know, the thing of it is, is this particular day that we did it was the, the, the day that of course people were predicting for the presidents and the president and stuff and so forth. So there was a lot of emotion going on yeah. that day. And, you know, my guidance to a lot of different people is this. Um, look, no matter who the president is, it's going to be your life. Yeah. And you are going to have to choose how to live your life one way or another. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, what the government can do can affect you in a sense. But at the end of the day, it's still ultimately your decision on how you get through life and go through life. It's sort of like how, um, you know, whatever life throws at you, it's not what life throws at you. It's how you respond to it. So whether it's something good or bad, you choose how to respond to it. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, we're just happy the election's over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, we're just, to be honest, we're just happy that it's done. 
Um, you know, we're ready for people to actually start being nice again. Please. Um, you know, please, and yes. if that can happen, we're just ready for that. We shouldn't have to say that. We shouldn't because, you know, I mean, naturally. Yeah. But at the end of the day, is, I, mean, I think people have just been getting so bored with being through this pandemic that they forgot what it's like to be nice. So, yeah. um, you know, don't expect people to be nice to you if you can't be nice to them, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But in any sense, let's move on because we got on. a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, we yes. have a lot of classic entertainment, Ooh. but one of them is going to be something we've never really talked about before, and that is karate. Oh, Let's okay. talk about some karate. Growing up around it, you know, my sister and them, my sister was in it. Oh. She did a lot of that. I don't remember what exactly that she did. And yeah. I actually took karate classes as a kid. Cause that's really, well, yeah, most boys do. I did. I had my own nunchucks, but when the nunchucks kept beating the shit out of me, then that's when I gave up. On <laughs> now, them. were they the plastic ones? I would hope the toy ones. I had both. Really? I did. Okay. Cause that's interesting because I was going through the whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle craze, the original cartoon. Not for the ones that's out there now, but like, you know, the comic book in the cartoon series, whatever. Um, and I want, I liked um, Michelangelo. So uh, funny story. I actually wanted my dad to handcraft me nunchucks just to have them, just to say I had them. I would, of course, never used them, but I just thought it was interesting. I had them. Um, I would abuse myself with them because I didn't what? know how to, well, I didn't know how to use them. Well, yeah, I mean, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I didn't know how to use them. And then, then when people were trying to teach you all the different ways of, you know, oh, you could do them around your head and around your body and all these unique things in between You thought it legs. was a yo-yo or something? And I'm sitting there going, I'm not throwing that stuff between my legs. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? And, you know, so no, I could not figure it out. But a lot of people take karate as self-defense, which is good. Yes. It is very good. It is not meant for fighting. The original Karate Kid always teaches that. Yes, yes. And the really good story of it is it is good for self-defense. It's not good for uh, just general fighting, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I do remember that. Kung Fu, what is the difference between that, do you know? You know, I, I, I really front, don't know. I don't I, know. I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think Kung Fu, I think it, it, it's a Chinese art. Wait, now I'm thinking of that song. Everybody was kung fu fighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think you know, there's there's so many types of martial arts. Yeah, pretty. You much. know, and each each one has its own thing, I suppose. All right, let's go into martial arts entertainment. Now that I can talk about. So there was a Nintendo game called kung fu and you know you go through the different levels of wherever and you're just chopping and kicking and whatever pretty much <laughs> uh marvel versus capcom oh wow okay got you on that one yeah um i mean capcom has a lot of street fighting um games like street fighter 2 um and some of the characters in that like I used to pronounce his name as Ryu, and I even dressed up as him for Halloween one year. But in Jap in Japan, it's pronounced Yu. Um, but he he was he wore like the white. Um, uh -huh. I don't you know the the outfit with the the headband and the, the black belt or whatever. All right, uh, Dragon Ball. 
you know what? I really didn't get into that only because I think there was a lot of anger in that. Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Now, Mortal Kombat. Okay, for the mid-90s. I don't want to say kids or teenagers. There you go. Of course, the theme song, you know, it was very, I do got to say that was pretty close to the video game. Pretty close. So, Did yes. you ever watch the old movie, uh, Three Ninjas? Wow. Yeah. And then the, what, what the sequel was Three Ninjas Strike Back or something like I that? I didn't watch that. I just watched the original. Three yeah. Ninjas. Yeah. Because I had a crush on one of the boys. Because <laughs> they were the same age as I was when the movie came out. And yeah. they were so attractive. Of course, just like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Everybody was attracted to Leonardo DiCaprio. You know? Just like the women were all over Jordan Knight. For yeah. me, it was Leo. Oh. It, it was Leo. Okay. And we talked about the Karate Kid movies. Now, I wasn't a fan of the remakes. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of I, that. Yeah. Uh, I have not watched Cobra Kai. I, I People keep saying to go watch it. I have not. Um, you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden, Hidden Dragon. Dragon. Okay, so. I have not seen For that. those who haven't seen it, it is an international film. So it has subtitles. Um, so if you're into like really story, um, story bound movies i guess or you know just getting a concept of a movie like what they make overseas and you have the patience to read the subtitles amazing movie and the effects that were used it in i mean come on uh nin I ninjas jumping off I trees and stuff like that it's cool i can't go sit and watch a movie and read at the same time it just doesn't happen and if it's full of those subtitles i'm like all right i'm bored that's a lot of work it is a, that lot, is of a lot of work, but the only reason, and I have for anime too, the only reason why particular animes I'll I'll watch the sub uh, titled ones is because it uses the original Japanese voice actors, and sometimes that's better than the American um, voice dubbing cast. But you know, it depends. I mean, it really just depends. It's just a lot of work. I it just, is a I lot of work. I, you got to really be like focused on it. And there was a movie. The first I have, I've never fallen asleep in a movie theater before, except once. Okay. Once. The last of the Mohicans. Are you serious? I did. I did. And the one I fell asleep I to did. was uh, Titan. Oh, wow. I wow. Didn't. That's funny. I could not get into it at all. And instead of getting up, I was just like, oh, here, I'll just take a nap. So I just took a nap. And I did. And I woke up. I woke up at the beginning. At the, I went, it was right pretty much at the beginning. And I woke up right at the end. And I'm like, oh, all right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I usually don't. But I somehow, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't. So let's go into a little bit more of a classic interview. Oh my gosh. Classic now, have you been in a movie theater and there was a guy snoring behind you? Um, no, but uh, I've been at theme park rides where that's happened. <laughs> yes, I've been on theme park rides. But um, classic entertainment, what comes to mind? Of course, we've always talked about I Love Lucy. Of course, yeah. Uh, Hello, Dolly. Yeah. Of course, A Star is Born. Now, you know, I like the recent Star is Born. Yeah. Um, you know... But I'm always going to be a Barbara Streisand fan when it comes to the Star is Born. And I'm always going to love that version of it, in my opinion. And, you know, I like Barbara. I, I just, I don't know. There's a lot of projects she's done that I really adore her in. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's 
What can you say? I mean, there you go. The Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Uh, okay, so my one of my favorites is the Snorks. Yes, you know, and the theme song that goes along with it, too. I used to watch in the morning before going to school the USA Cartoon Express. Express. Yes. And they used to have the races. Yes. Oh, um, what was it? Um, Wacky Races? I think or so. Or something like that, and where it took... All the different um, Hanna Barbera characters, and they had them race against each other, and they split them up into teams, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I used to love watching that. Yeah, all yeah. The time. What about Beastmasters? You ever watch that? They are supposed to you know, remake. I that. had, I think it was, my gosh, I vaguely recall it, but I think I had like a toy from it. What about okay, okay, Tootsie? We we, we still oh, watch yeah, that. we watched that a lot. Yeah. So if you go back, um, did you ever watch Kung Fu, the show Kung Fu? I did. The show Kung Fu. Uh, uh, I really, at the moment, I, I did. don't Young know. Grasshopper. The, now, that sounds familiar, but as the show goes, um, yeah. yeah, I couldn't tell yeah. you. Yeah, I did. I did. It's one of those classic shows. You know, it's one of the, it's again, another um kung fu karate type show yeah but i mean this is an opinion but i think with kung fu karate you know i think the one of the main lessons is like you'd said use it for self-defense but like only use it when you when it is needed you know like don't yeah. go looking for it you know and it takes a lot of self um not self-control but you just gotta focus and a balance there you well, go you know entertainment is entertainment it says it in the name it's entertainment mm -hmm. so you know you can use entertainment to help advise and relate yeah but entertainment is not your guide to doing certain things and if you go and you take things literally from entertainment then you're seeing entertainment differently in mm. my opinion, because some people sit there and say, oh, well, this condones violence or this this gives a violent outtake and this and this. That, though, it could be very true, but it's the individual that makes the choices, not what the individual watches right. and sees or hears. It's the individual. Now, some people do need assistance and help in their guidance so they prevent from doing these certain things. But um, at the entertainment, it, at the end of the day, entertainment is just general entertainment, and it's how you view certain things of entertainment. And with parents, I think a good parent is going to oversee what their kids watch, see, and do until they're old enough to understand what it is that they are seeing and doing. Wow. Um, and that's important, I think, as far as parenting is concerned. Um, you know, because that's how we were brought up. That's how we were brought up. We were brought up that our parents, you know, if if our parents wanted to watch something that was um, too sexy, in a sense. Or scary. Or something of that nature, they would go in their room and watch it and the kids could not be around it. Oh, okay. You know, because, I mean, back in the 80s and the 90s, they had those certain films that had a lot of different nudity or close to nudity stuff in it, of course. And us as kids, we couldn't watch any of them. And we knew, okay, they're going to watch this. They're going to watch that, you know. And 
today people just think, oh, they're just going to watch porn. But it wasn't porn. It was just <laughs> it was just in the movies. But again, when your parents, as a parent, because we're not parents, but as a parent, if you are knowing what your kids are doing, you're not controlling their life or you're not being too overprotective. You're just making sure that you are understanding their mature level in life. Wow. Yeah. And at a younger age, they're very innocent. They, they, you know, they're curious and a lot of things. So if you're opening that door for their curiosity to expand, then you have to be responsible of knowing yeah how they're going to react or respond to that curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then when they get old enough to where they understand the consequences of certain things, then you as a parent start allowing them to make their own decisions and mm -hmm. how they grow. That's wow. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but again, moving on. Right. <laughs> we always get off subject. But today, you know, we're going to be talking about the Kung Fu series. Okay. Because our guest today it came from the show. Ah, Absolutely. It came okay. from the show. So the Kung Fu television series was actually an action adventure martial arts drama. Wow. There's a lot there. Uh, <laughs> it originated on ABC from October 14th of 1972 and ran till April 26th of 1975. Wow. It had 50-minute episodes. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Warner Brothers Television is the one that uh, produced the show. And they had 63 total episodes. Okay. Three seasons. Nice. Rodimus Para was on there. Uh, Philip Hong. Key Luke. I know I'm going to misspell these names. <laughs> David Cardine. Yeah. Maybe or Cardine, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so bad. Sorry. Carradine. Yeah. Like yes. That. So sorry. So but sorry. they came up with a Kung Fu movie in 1986. They did a follow-up of Kung Fu Next Generation in 1987. And Kung Fu The Legend continues with a female-led reboot for Fox. Supposed to come out next year. Mm. Interesting. And, of course, the Kung Fu fighting song by Carl Douglas is not part of the movie or show. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thinks it is. It's not. Totally it's not. Well, today our guest is the only living legend from the show that's left. He's the only one alive. Wow. He was young Kane. I'm not even going to say the first word. Nighting. Okay, there you go. Better known as Grasshopper. Yes, everybody knows that because, you know, you can always go and kid around with people and sit there and say, young grasshopper. You can always do that. Just like a, a, a friend, a friend of ours who who gets her Christmas nickname, which I forgot to tell her this weekend. <laughs> I got to call her. She, her Christmas nickname is Biscuit. Don't ask why. <laughs> it is Biscuit. But Biscuit. I know <laughs> Biscuit will be listening, but I'm going to make sure. But her Christmas nickname is Biscuit. <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm sure I stopped some feet going right now. Oh my she's God. probably walking in her neighborhood yeah. listening to this and uh -huh. sitting there going, oh, yeah. and she, hi, Biscuit. Anyway, all right. Well, his nickname was Grasshopper. <laughs> 
And again, he is the last remaining living cast member of the show, Kung Fu. He's also been on Little House of the Prairie, The Waltons, Six Million Dollar Man, High Five O, Shazam. Hawaii, oh, High Five O. Hi. I'm still trying. <laughs> I'm getting biscuit out of my head. I can't get biscuit. Red Skeleton Show. Yes. Family Affair, Kung Fu. He was actually in the Kung Fu movie. Nice. And The Rookie. You remember that one? Yes. Oh, I remember. Mm-hmm. And of course, Night Gallery. Yeah. Rodimus Para is with us today. So we're going to talk to him. I've got some interesting questions for him. And I am so excited because I have used the term grasshopper or young <laughs> grasshopper many a times before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm telling you, my newest term is going to be biscuit now. Um, she's so good. <laughs> She's she's so gonna hate me. Oh my gosh! But uh, Uh, anyway, uh. I know I'm gonna get a text. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so sit back, relax. Rodimus Para is coming up. When you put the pandemic aside, you start to look at your own inner self, which means your own sufferings. We're all going through something in life. Yes. Part of our brand is to help and continue to help. And help is what is needed sometimes just to be able to focus and focus the right way. I've dealt with mental abuse, anxiety, depression, and a list of other issues that I struggle with overcoming every day. Both of us have dealt with some sort of issues. With my own issues like heart disease, and so forth. That stuff takes a toll on you, and sometimes we want to give up. Please, please don't. Just like with us, you'll survive all of this, and no matter the current times, we're all going to live happy. We have created the Best Friends Forever Foundation, completely managed by us and our team, totally funded by our company. It is built with you in mind. You need someone to talk to, be your friend, offer you help, or just your chat friend, we can help. Need help? We will set it up and pay for it to get you the help you need. Working with some of the best doctors in the country. Believe me, we are all in it for you. Our goal is to have assistance available to you whenever needed, even if it is to talk. We want to have a safe house for you to go get more assistance. These facilities will be nearest to you and guaranteed to be there for you. In dedication of celebrating you and giving you love with awareness, we have Williams Heart Pin available online to wear close to your hearts. Proceeds go directly into the foundation. Go to chrisandwill.com for all the details. Remember, you are loved. We love you. Love yourself and the world will love you in return. Chris and Will introducing you to an amazing getaway. For the first time, we both treated ourselves to a day of pampering. If you're in the Tampa, Florida area, then please make sure to treat your own self to a day like we did at Spa Nirvana, a sanctuary for face and body, a spa day for men and women. The staff is so friendly, the place is clean, looks amazing, and the best of it, they're following the safety guidelines during these current times. Truly a professional environment. The cost isn't bad neither. Make your appointment today. Imagine a day where you can get the most incredible stress-free relaxing massage, body work, facial rejuvenation, and microdermabrasion. They have so much more to offer, including their signature facial services, including an aluminum oxide-free crystal microdermabrasion facial, the lifting facial of mature skin, and the most comprehensive, purifying, deep cleansing facial. Plus, you just can't beat the environment of soothing music. 
healthy snacks and drinks, and you just have to see it for yourself. Guys, it's totally worth it. This is a weekly thing for us now, and I can't wait to go again. This is a Chris Will Highly recommendation. SpaNirvana.com is the website. You can go to ChrisandWill.com for the link as well. Spa Nirvana, 811 Court Street, Clearwater, Florida, 33756. Call 727-447-7546 to make your appointment today. Services are by appointment only, and they are filling up fast. So treat yourself, your inner self, to a vacation day at Spa Nirvana. We are honored to welcome young grasshopper, Rodimus Para. I'm well. I'm well. I'm good. Um, yes. So um, all is well. Um, I'm just in isolation you know, most of the time here. I'm taking care of my my little girl. Uh, she's you know, she's not going back to school yet um, because uh, people, the parents, have decided that they don't want their kids to go back to school, even though the parents have gone back to work. Some of them, um, the kids are not. And so they're being held back in school. Uh, so I'm just I'm just a stay-at-home dad with a almost four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? That can be fun and exhausting at the same time. You got it. That's exactly how it is. Yes. So <laughs> I, I, my wife just came home and she just uh, got out of the shower and got herself uh, downstairs so I could make this phone call. So <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, you know, it's all it's important to keep a good attitude throughout these things that are going on. Uh, because one thing that I learned uh, way back when, and, you know, it takes a lifetime to apply these principles, but one of them is, uh, you know, to stay in the present moment and to realize that everything passes and nothing, nothing stays the same for very long, um, right. and to just take a, a, greater, a greater slice uh, of life as a reference point, meaning a, a longer span of time, and be patient and uh, just enjoy the things that are available to you in every moment that keep, you know, keep your head on in a good way. So um, that's my, been my life practice, uh, you know, Absolutely. imperfectly, of course. <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's how I get through things like this. Wow, that amazing, just total moment. My gosh. Thank you for those words of wisdom. <laughs> and it's, well, you're welcome. It's very true. I mean, we the one key word that uh, you had stated was patience. And, you know, that's a very big word to have during all this is basically sitting there going, okay, you're just going to have to be patient with it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because with us, we're normally in a studio. But uh, because we're at home, it's a whole different phase. And, you know, you know how it is. It's when you're the experience and feel of being on a set is so much intriguing and it's mesmerizing, at least in our opinion. So when we're doing these shows, it's like, oh, we love being at home, but you just don't get the feel of production unless you're doing it in a studio. So we miss that. So we're patiently waiting for it to come back. <laughs> I understand. Well, that's well, well put as well. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. So at what point in your life did you know that you wanted to go into entertainment? Uh, uh, well, not in the beginning, that's for sure. I was actually uh, brought into it uh, through a side door uh, without any burning desire to, to do it. Um, I was seven and a half years old, and my mom was up for... My mom was a very good actress and worked a lot in the 60s, uh, did a lot uh -huh. of really great character work, and was a very beautiful uh, woman as well. 
but she was a good actress, and so she did a lot of roles, and she was up for a film to play a 24-year-old uh, mistress to uh, Anthony Quinn in a feature film called A Dream of Kings. So she played the Hollywood game, as she had been doing well, and uh, she invited the director and some friends over for a dinner party and told me, now, Rodimus, you stay upstairs, you eat your beef stroganoff in your room, because... Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't I don't want you to come downstairs. It's just going to be adults, and that's and the real reason that she didn't tell me was uh, she was 27, tw- almost 28 at the time, and uh, and 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 in Hollywood in the 60s there was a huge difference between 24 and 28, believe it or not, and yeah. uh, and so so for her to have a seven and a half eight year old son would have uh, would have been a uh, something that a liability for her at the time. So consequently, um, she. Um, uh, told me to stay away. So I, I found a way to go downstairs, and I met the director, and um, he asked my mom if he ever if she ever thought of putting me in the business, and she said, well, not really, no. And he goes, you know, he has a quality that really, it's really like what I envisioned the boy in this film, who was a dying, the dying son of Anthony Quinn. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so anyway, long story short, uh, or, or short story long, I should say, um, I, you know, I fell into it. I got the role in the film, and I ended up uh, getting an agent and started doing work and was, an, you know, kind of a natural at playing sensitive kids and stuff, unusual roles, you know, and um, and it was just fun, you know. I didn't have a desire to do it. Then later, uh, I actually had uh, a desire to keep my career going once I was an adult and I, you know, had the responsibility of running my own career. Uh, then it became a, an entirely different ball of wax. And unfortunately, that coincided with what happens to 99% of all child actors is that there's an expiration date tattooed on your forehead, and right. you can't see it when you look in the mirror. Uh, but, but because of typecasting, Hollywood is done with you when you're lo- no longer a kid. Even though you're so experienced and so mm-hmm. qualified, oh, yeah. uh, they, they, they look at your resume and they can't, they can't see you in the adult roles because they're just envisioning you as the kid actor that you were. So the smartest thing I could have done, which I've actually heard a couple of actors do this, which is uh, change their name, uh, erase their, their resume, and pretend that they just arrived in Hollywood, and that would have been a, maybe a better route, better route to have wow. taken as wow. an adult. But, um, but I didn't play it that way. Um, I actually wanted to keep my acting going so I could direct. I, my, my burning desire was really to become a director. And uh, so that was way back in my 20s. And when I realized that none of those things were going to roll out the way I had hoped, I had to just step away from it. And I picked an entirely separate uh, career and profession to do, which I, which I started in 1988, uh, designing home theaters and sound systems and um, oh, nice. being a one-man show, my own boss. And that took off, like, right away. I had wow. the universe tell me, yeah, they, they, the universe said, this this is good. Do this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I so I did, and um, and uh, I, I had just immediate success, and also started working for some really high end celebrities, which I didn't plan, but it worked right. out that way. And I had an opportunity to see what possibly my life would have been like had my career continued along the arc that I was intending. Uh, certainly not superstardom, but you know, I got to right. be around some very, very famous people. Johnny Depp. I did three homes for him, a couple of houses wow. for Nicolas Cage, uh, a system for uh, Robert Downey Jr., Sharon Stone, Ben Stiller, on and on. And um, I saw that these folks had very little privacy, or yeah. the privacy they they have comes at a very high price. 
and um, very expensive to buy privacy. And um, so, you know, in a way, I kind of dodged a bullet. I, I, I enjoyed being my own professional, my own my own boss, and my, my and a, uh, equal uh, in their eyes uh, with my own business. And so that gave me the kind of positive reinforcement that a a child actor who whose career dwindled in front of them, uh, and the insecurity that followed that, uh, that completely, you know, healed that. Uh, just being, you know, m- making money with my own two hands and my brain, and being, you know, an expert in my field. That was a really fun thing. So, so I did that for. Uh, I thought I was going to do it for like ten years. I ended up doing it for for twenty six years. Wow. Um, yeah. So, wow. so the good news is, or or just how things work out. You know, once I finally retired from the second career. Um, I, I mo- and I moved to France uh, with my wife and daughter. My wife is French. Um, uh-huh. uh, it, 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 it dawned on me that it was going to take me a few years to get fluent in French, which is required if you're going to work in France. There's not, it's not one of those countries that has a, it's not a bilingual country like Germany is or the Netherlands. Right. You've got to know your French here. So um, since that was, a, uh, that was a longer arc than, than I was expecting, um, I, I realized I looked back into my life and I said, you know, I actually have a, another skill set that I just that's been laying dormant, and I started polishing it up. And I'm now pursuing an acting career again uh, uh-huh. while I'm writing my memoirs, and I am just re- approaching it with from a completely different point of view, and with just a lot of just the, the confidence that comes with you know being middle aged, you know. So right. That's, right. that's that's the long answer to your to your question. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's, it's great. interesting, really. It is, and you know the the interesting the more interesting part about it is you wouldn't have if you would have changed your name and resurfaced all that you would have totally lost the probably annoyance that you hear all the time the nickname you would have uh-huh. lost that. Yeah. I mean, huh. you 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 kept. I mean, come on. How many times have you sat there and said, I don't want to be known as Grasshopper anymore? <laughs> well, well, there was a period. There actually was a time when I felt that way about it, and I really I hid it. I did not use it in my second career, my second business at all. I actually avoided it. And I'll tell you why. Um, I mean, now I'm okay with it, but, but the reason why I wasn't okay with it for a long time was, um, well, there were a couple things. There was an emotional baggage that had to do with, you know, it was a very painful time in my life when I was grasshopper, um, having a bald head in sixth grade and eighth grade, and being on TV at, at a time when bullying was not in check. You know, it was it was rampant, and I would go to public school, and I got really hassled a lot. I was a sensitive kid; I wasn't able to defend myself, mm-hmm. and um, and I and I ended up, you know, uh, sustaining quite a bit of uh, torture, quite honestly, and so. Wow. Um, so, so that was part of it. The second part of it was, of course, then realizing that my child acting career wasn't helping me in an adult career. So I kind of had a second negative at- attribution to it. Um, mm-hmm. And lastly, um, I, I also was very, uh, I found it kind of odd, and I think this is true of every celebrity, uh, that when people found out that I was Grasshopper, if I was having a conversation with them as an equal, all of a sudden, if, if that information came to their awareness, somehow, like a, someone said, hey, you know, you know who Rodimus is, right? Blah, blah, blah. He was Grasshopper. They would go, I would watch their face, something go over their face and in their expression, and they were no longer relating to me as an equal person. Wow. Yeah. Somehow, yeah. same, mm-hmm. they put me, all of a sudden, it, whatever, a number of things could kick in. 
jealousy, unbeknownst to them, just on a subconscious level. I'm not even saying they were bad people yeah. or anything like that for being jealous. It's just that, it's like, oh, my God, this guy was on TV. Oh, oh, he's, you know, oh, who does he think he is? Or what, what is he doing, doing in this profession? Why isn't he in Hollywood? So there's a number of different things that could come across their mind. And, I, and suddenly not being, you know, just being in conversation as another person ended. And I was thrust into another category. And that was also not very fun to experience a lot. Right. So I downplayed it for a long time. Now, you know, when nostalgia for the 70s started to happen a few years back, uh-huh. um, uh, and, I, and, I, and I had already, you know, gone through a lot of therapy and, and therapy myself through having my own business and, and the self-esteem that that brought me, um, I, I made peace with it. And, and, of course, then it became an asset, you know. And, and, and as you said, the phrase... Ah, grasshopper or patience grasshopper has persisted in the culture and that has been a fantastically fun thing to experience you know uh, even just hearing people nearby saying it to each other and just kind of going they have no idea that I'm (laughs) actually over here and and they're talking about that over there so you know um, it's a really kind of a cool thing for sure and 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 I've I've come full circle with it for sure absolutely absolutely well you know I it wasn't it wasn't until I mean I think I kind of knew but it didn't really hit me until we were going through all of our notes and we were doing the the research and everything mm-hmm. else and then rewatching some of the clips that I'm like oh my gosh how many times did I get told grasshopper or that phrase or when I was growing up and as an adult and I'm sitting there going this was him and I'm you know and it's exactly like you said nobody really realized in, until um, until it's pointed out because it is such a, a phenomenal culture phrase and it, yeah, it's, it it's is a free the free floating it's a free floating meme in yes. fact a lot of people who use it especially younger people they don't even know where it's from yep it's absolutely. just this, it's its own thing mm-hmm. which means you know which is like you know it's kind of cool because i'm not famous but my character is and it's and it's completely independent of its roots you know right. so it's kind of interesting yeah Wow. Well, it is it is such phenomenal. And, you know, and again, going back and then rewatching some of those classic episodes, you just you miss that kind of TV in yeah. a sense. And you you really you you just you really do. And I we're big vintage and we yes. love you know, we love all of those those eras and those that that time of our life. And it's it's just it's incredible. So tell me how did that come across? How did that gig come out to be? Well, you know, um, from my from my perspective at the time, it was just another interview. Um, my agent called, you know, left a message saying, you know, uh, they'd like to see Rodimus at Warner Brothers for this uh, pilot, or actually it wasn't even a pilot, it was just supposed to be a movie of the week. There's a movie of the week Warner Brothers is doing, it's an unusual role, Rodimus is right for it, uh, go see uh, they're going to actually get you in to see the director uh, right away. You don't have to go through the casting uh-huh. process. Uh, okay, great. Um, and my mom says, okay, you have an interview this afternoon after school, but if you get the job, you have to shave your head. And I was like, ha, ha, that's really, what a weird thing to say, Mom. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, I didn't, you know, because it's like, what? You know, no. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. So it wasn't until I showed up at the studio that I, uh, and read the, you know, the, the sides, the, scre- the, the scenes that I had to read, that, oh, oh my God. No, oh my gosh, I will have to shave my head if I get this. Okay, well, that's interesting. So that's how I saw it at the time. Uh-huh. Um, in reality, as I piece things together over the years, uh, and uh, I write about this in my book, is um, that 
David Carradine uh, and I, well, I should just, let me just back up for a second. There was another show that was uh, on the air shortly before this casting took place. Um, and it was running a very famous uh, cult show called Night Gallery. Uh-huh. And um, Night Gallery, you know, Rod Serling would present two paintings in, in the gallery. It was an hour-long show, and there was usually two, two different stories, shorter stories within the hour format. And so one of them was this thing called Silent Snow, Secret Snow, which starred myself as this boy who has these fantasies about snow, and all of a sudden it's snowing in his room, and he's like distancing himself from school and his parents, and this. we don't know what's going on with him. And it was narrated by Orson Welles. Oh. So, kind of cool. Yeah. So, so, so on that same broadcast, and this is the, like this is the part that I told you I pieced together later, I didn't realize this at the time, but um, looking back, I figured it out. On that same episode that night, the previous, the, early, the first painting was something called the Phantom Farmhouse, and that starred David McCallum, who uh-huh. was uh, Man from Uncle, in Man from Uncle, yes, and and David Carradine playing a mystic flute playing treehouse dwelling character. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think I think that when uh, his agents were submitting him for Kung Fu, they said, "Here's the reel of." of David's most recent work, and he plays this mystical character, which may be appropriate for your purposes. And so they screen, you know, at that time, they would, there was before videotape, so they would screen a, a film reel, would be sent to the studio, and Jerry Thorpe, the producer of Kung Fu, and a couple other people were sitting in the screening room looking at David's reel, and then and they finished that, and they go, well, you know, there's this other thing on here that's narrated by Orson Welles. Do we have a few minutes? Let's just watch this thing. Kind of sounds interesting. So they watched the next thing, which was my piece, and they went, wow, okay. I think we have the kid and we have the adult all right here. Let's bring Rodimus in to, you know, to read for this thing as well. I believe that's how it probably happened. So, um, wow. anyway, that's the that's the long again the long answer to your to your quick <laughs> question. <laughs> no, you're good. We love storytelling. We we really do. So I'm guessing you. I mean, you went through a little bit about telling us a little of growing up and the experience of working as a child actor. So, what was your what was your thought process as far as how how did you feel about being on the set as a child actor? I mean, did you enjoy doing that show? I actually that that life for me that I entered into it at a tender young age uh, that I loved that world. Uh, that world became the safe place where I was uh, treated with respect. Where uh, and I don't mean like you know some sort of haughty, uh, some sort of high, you know high horse. Right, I just right. mean I was a I was I was a working member of a of a production, and that was you know that was really cool to be considered you know an equal in some ways. Yeah. Um, of course, I, I was still a kid, of course, but I loved being on the set. I loved the process of shooting. It's very high pressure. I mean, for some, I guess I was built for it in some way. Um, my mom, you know, did her best to prepare me, even though she did not do a very good job in giving me some of the tools I would have needed to, or did need, to, uh, to survive in the industry intact. I, I, uh, she, she, was, uh, she was lacking some of those tools for herself in her own life, and so she wasn't able to teach them to me. But nonetheless, there was a long period that, where it was just fun. I loved doing it, and I loved going into to the, you know, Early in the morning, you know, six in the morning, you show up there and you get makeup, right. and then and you you've learned your lines the night before, and and you know it, it's really intense and it's also really satisfying, and you get a lot of attention and validation from adults. You know, that was a really fun, special thing to do as a kid. So I my life on the set was always a much more pleasant experience than having to go back to school and deal with you know um, what what became.
became for me uh, just the uh, you know a, not a not a fun place. You know, school. Right. Uh, I liked. I had some good teachers. I was very fortunate that I had a couple of really great teachers in my life in my elementary and and junior high and high school years. Um, but uh, generally, the social scene not so fun for me. Um, I had a couple of friends who I loved, uh, but everybody else was. Um, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't. It wasn't home for me. Home was actually yeah. on the set. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah I of course. Agree. Of course. So, did you have to go through any type of um, training of kung fu or learning any of the moves? Great question. You're the first person to ask me that. Um, huh? well, yes, good. I did. I actually did uh, study a little bit of it. Then I, I, there was a there's a scene in in some of the title sequences of the show where I'm uh, using a uh, bamboo staff. Uh-huh. So I was trained in the staff work uh, a little bit uh, nice. enough to make you know to, to fake it well, um, right. and then uh, and then I studied Tai Chi uh, at that time as well, uh, which is a slow form of Kung Fu. So yeah. I could understand some of the principles in the movement and stuff. And even though I didn't really have to use that on the show, uh, it seemed like you know I would be a hypocrite if I didn't. You know, right. so um, so I did. And of course, uh, the philosophy is something that I was already being uh, given through my mom uh, from her uh, Eastern philosophical studies that, that happened before I even got on the show. So when I was reading scenes, I had a sense of what they meant in a way, and um, I think that might have lent something to my performance as well. And, and then, you know, afterwards, I mean, that those ideas, those Eastern thought has been a very close part of my life, all my life, and of course, reinforced by having been Grasshopper. And um, it didn't have to be that way. I mean, David Carradine, uh, which I don't want to talk about David in a negative way. I'll just say that, you know, um, I think that he didn't appreciate the opportunity uh, what was given him uh, to play this right. character. And I and I, I feel like I, I felt like I had a real responsibility toward not not to pretend to be Grasshopper or anything like that, but to at least live my life with as much integrity as I could. Yeah. And validate yeah and validate other people's appreciation of the show i've heard so many times people come up to me and say you know that show rodimus that show changed my life you know like wow really yeah i, I would never have studied uh, martial arts or i or I, I picked up a book on you know buddhism after this uh you know and and uh, i used to watch that show religiously with my friends and you know, the word religiously comes up a lot when right. people would say about how they used to watch the show because of course in those days as you remember uh you didn't have the ability to record anything everyone had to show up at you know, 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. on Thursday night to watch the show yep. and then talk about it the next day. Um, so, yeah, it was a cultural phenomenon. It was something that I think made an impact on the culture at the time, and I consider that to be an important um, aspect of it. And um, I've, I've tried to do my best to, you know, live a life of integrity myself. I mean, with again, very imperfectly, but but that's been my moving force in life uh i always have that that direction to go in i guess you know and so right. i'm proud i'm proud of that and and uh and uh, you know it's it's helped it's helped get me out of a few situations that would have been uh difficult otherwise oh yeah and you know course. and i was gonna say that because that's why i was like you know television and, and even in film in some ways back in the day and specifically this one it's very therapeutic if that's yeah. what i'm looking for because oh, yeah. you when you go into it as a viewer, you're watching it in a certain mode and you can relate to certain things. So when Mm -hmm. you relate to certain things, you put yourself now as grasshopper and now you're learning as you were 
and as your character was, you're learning and you're going through that life and it gives you a sense of got it right after it's over with. So mm -hmm. that type of performance to me is real performance. Yes, so I'm I glad agree. you kind of said that because it was it really is. And it, it that's where I think a lot of the fans come in and said, Oh, I you know, I watched it religiously and, you know, it changed my life. And I think that's kind of wise because it's so relatable. And back then entertainment Hollywood was all about relation and it was mm -hmm. all about finding something that can adapt to its audiences and stick to its audiences and it told a story and it was teaching at the same yes. time and yeah. i think that with that performance alone is not only healing but it's also like the highest of quality like you know yes it's just in those little things but then you apply them to life and then wow a whole nother thing there <laughs> Well, it's not often that we get to see um, a, a character like that who has basically spent his entire life training uh, to be uh, his best self and humble at the same time. Right, so often yeah. You get to see, it's not often you get to see a character like, you know, apply that kind of teaching in, in real world, oftentimes very difficult and challenging situations, and always make a decision that that causes the least amount of harm, that tries to make the most good out of a situation, you know. Right. And this is what we watched in Kwai Chang Kane. He, 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 you know, he had a price on his head. He was in a, in a land that did not understand his culture. There was a lot of bigotry around at the time. And, um, and he would get himself in situations and always try to do the best. Thing. Now, right. that's not something we get to see very often in entertainment, yeah. and let alone in television. But when you see a character making those kinds of decisions, it does inform you, and it resonates with what we ultimately want. To, we all want to do our best, you know. Yes. And uh, mm -hmm. and he, he he was not perfect, but he but he always made choices that were based on integrity and and care yeah. about other people, mm -hmm. and and also. Dignity, self-respect also, you know, and that's another thing that's interesting about that character. He really had, he practiced self-respect and what that means is it reflects on actions outside of oneself. Wow. Right. Wow. That was on television? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, and it gave rise, the whole idea of a teacher-student, because, you know, in every episode with my scenes, it was always me talking to the masters, you know, who were teaching him. Right. The kernels of the wisdom that he then applied in the practical real-world situation. That paradigm of the teacher-student was the first time that ever existed in American entertainment. It was then duplicated, essentially, not, not very much longer after, just a few years later, we got to see in 1977 when Star Wars appeared, there was Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke yes. Skywalker mm -hmm. and Yoda and Luke Skywalker. Now, there's an interesting story behind that. May I, may I tell you? Yes, yes please do. Okay, okay, okay. So when I was working on Kung Fu, the three and a half, four years of my life that that was taking place, and it was, of course, a hit show, as you know, George Lucas lived three doors away from me. Wow. And he was... And his, his landlord, because he was actually renting a triplex, an apartment, like an apartment in a house, and uh, him and his wife, Marsha, at the time. And, uh, they, and his, their landlord was a good friend of my mom's and would always come over and talk to, to us and then go back down and talk. He always he was a talky kind of guy. He was a neighborhood guy, and he talked to everybody, including his own tenants, of course. So Lucas was, I know, I mean, I don't, I've never had this conversation with him. I hope to be able to someday to verify this, but I'm certain that he was influenced by that because 
when you think about a couple things, okay, Key Luke played Master Poe, my master, one of the two masters, Key Luke, and you have Luke Skywalker, and you have Grasshopper and Skywalker. I don't know. I think some of it just percolated through his creative consciousness, and he came up with this. So that was the second time that that happened in the culture, was that idea of a teacher-student, a master-student, uh, was brought through that. And then the third, of course, the third iteration would have been the Karate Kid with Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. And then, of course, the uh, sort of full circle would be Kung Fu Panda, and guess that, that character's name, the panda's character, is named Poe. Master uh-huh. Poe from Kung Fu and oh. Poe the Panda. So, you know, there's a DNA through line in all these things. I just wanted to point that out to your audience because uh, I want people to understand that it, it originated from Kung Fu. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. It's like, but you are right. You're absolutely, wow. All right. Well, that has to be a goal. <laughs> then you're going to have to find uh, George Lucas and uh, ask him that. Before he checks out, I got to verify this. <laughs> yes. And then when you do, you're going to have to call me and you're going to say, I was right. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. I love that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. So let's kind of go into some of your other roles that you have uh, are infamously known for. And one in particular is your performance on Little House on the Prairie. Right. So how was that experience? Well, that was good. Uh, Kung Fu had just ended uh, about a year earlier. I had done some other uh, guest starring things after that. And then, uh, then I got a call. Uh, agent said, you know, uh, Michael Landon would like to see you. Again, going around the casting part, I was very fortunate. I mean, most of the things I had to read for for casting person first, and then if they like you, they bring you back before it's called a callback, and then you maybe meet the director, et cetera, et cetera. But a couple times in my career, like with Kung Fu and with uh, Little House, I got straight in to see the directors because um, I think uh, Michael had seen some of my work before and said, you know, this guy has the quality that I'd like this young man to have in this show. And so met him, read for him, and he basically told me then and there, you know, or at least gave me the impression that, that I had the part, and I did. So, um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed for the first time working a, uh, on a series where I wasn't just the only kid. There were other kids around, which was really good. Um, got to know Alison Arngrim very well, who is still a very dear friend. In uh-huh. fact, um, she, when she comes to France, she stays here at my house. Um, so... She's a dear person. I'm so fortunate to know her. And um, it was a neat experience because I got to be in another Western. Of course, Kung Fu was a Western, but I wasn't in the Western part. I was in the Chinese part. So this was my first Western. And uh, being around other good, talented kid actors and, wow, Michael Landon. I mean, he was such a good director, producer, and writer. uh, And just, you know, quality work. I mean, these things stand the test of time. This is why... You know, Little House is still so huge. And not just in America. Do you know that France is a major... I mean, there have huge legions of fans in France. Uh, it's wow. a major show here. And it plays four times a day on national television wow. every day, every weekday. So why is that? You know, I thought, wow, that's bizarre. How come? Because, how come? you know, when people think of France, they think of Paris, right? right. Well, everything in between Paris and uh, Marseille and Khan, everything in between is all hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of villages that where there's really just a lot of uh, farm. It's a lot of farmland and villages 
one connected, you know, between farmland to another. And village life with one school, one church, one general store, one bakery, one mill or something along those lines is is what reality of life for majority of the French citizens actually is and what a lot of the Midwest, everything in between the coasts in America is is a lot of, a lot the same. Right. So Landon was very smart and he he uh he created a show where the dynamics of small village life between and the personal relationships between people and how they struggle to make ends meet and move forward in their lives, small group of the the group dynamic was something that he was really good at analyzing and, and writing about. And it's relatable to America and to countries that have a strong uh, agricultural um, uh, uh, lifestyle like, like France does. Uh-huh. There you go. Wow. So where actually did you guys film Little House on the Prairie? Uh, where was it filmed? Uh, well, yeah. at the time that I was working on it, we were shooting at Paramount. Uh-huh. And then I think they moved it to Universal. And then the outside sets, that was actually in Simi Valley. Simi Valley is where they had the, the village set up. Um, and what was, uh, what was prior to that was they actually, uh, was it Teledyne? Some kind of a uh-huh. rocket, fuel, rocket fuel testing facility. And it was, it, was, it was kind of, it was an abandoned piece of land because it was toxic. And they, they rented it really cheap to the studio to build their, uh, to build their little town on. And, um, there's a whole story like that that uh, you, if you ever talk to Alison Arngram again or, or sometime, uh, you can ask her about that. She has more details about that. But it was a, uh, yeah, it was a toxic waste site, but it was very pastoral and very, uh, very un, uninhabited, and it was easy for a film crew to, to work there. So that's where we filmed the outside scenes and all over the wow. whole town was set up. You know, I am going to have to, I'm going to reach out to her and I'm going to get her on this show. Hmm. And uh, we love shows like that. Yeah. We love classic and we have a huge fan base that does as well. And it's just, it's remarkable to hear all these great stories and your experiences and then kind of compare them to our own experiences that we've had in Hollywood, you know, and um it, the one thing has always been the studios. We love everything that the studios have come up with. Now, I wouldn't say modern day studios in a sense, but some of the how the studios were years and years ago, the way Hollywood I think still should stay mm-hmm. in a sense. But um, but we love stories like that. Yeah, well, you know, television uh, is a much more well. It, it was intense back then. I mean, look, when you have a camera rolling and film running through a camera, uh, you know, time is money, and and uh, you know there was a lot of pressure. It wasn't like right. all just like wonderful, dreamy, pastoral time. Everyone was hard at work, mm-hmm. doing their best, and, you know, we had a schedule. We had a really tight schedule. Uh, I think productions are even more uh, that way now, I think, in some ways. Um, but what am I trying to say? You're trying to say, I, I, I'm trying to make a comparison between the old and the new. All that's changed is the technology has changed now, and maybe there's um, even less time to get things done uh, than there was in the past, but it's yeah. still a very high-pressure situation. And, you know, everything really comes down to two things. Um, writing, writing is super important. And I think that's one of the things that has sort of, I don't know, listen, some shows that are exceptional, that, that reach into people's lives, that mean something to them, are the shows that are written well. And, you know, you can have good drama, but if it's not like, if it's not, like you were saying, you used the word a couple of times now, relatable. If it's not relatable... Right then people are going to forget it quickly. But if it yes. reaches into your heart and your mind, mm-hmm. like shows like, like Little House and Kung Fu did, 
uh, then then it's going to stay, stay with you. And this is why Little House has had the legs it has. I mean, it's gone. You know, you can buy it on on, on Blu-ray now, and you can yeah. you can mm-hmm. stream it on Amazon. I think you know. So it's like it stayed around because it was such a high quality product uh, to begin with. And uh, now you know. At the time, I think mostly girls watched. I don't think a lot of boys watched Little House on the Prairie. Uh-huh. Um, that's not to say anything about boys who did, but they were generally more sensitive uh, boys who did. And you know, it was a show from a girl's perspective. You know, certainly Laura Ingalls Wilder was uh, uh, the woman who wrote the books uh, right, about it. So it was yeah. mostly from her perspective. And it sometimes reached into the area. Some would say of kind of schmaltzy, a little bit too you know, precious or whatever. But those moments passed. It was mostly heartfelt. And that's the part that has persisted, you know. Uh, um, uh, Michael Landon, you know, kind of was a goofball sometimes. He did some fine, silly things. But he always brought it back to something meaningful and, and important about how we, um, how we learn and live and love, you know. That's right. what he was about. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, you were talking about all of your different experiences with the shows that you've been on. Um, how was your experience on Lassie? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, um, that was, I just looked into that. Um, uh, it was fun. Um, I uh, got to ride a, a motorcycle uh, in it. I was very much into motorbikes uh, starting to be at that time. Uh-huh. So that was really fun. Uh uh, Larry Wilcox, who was in, later in Chips, uh, yes. was a regular on Lassie. He was the star of the show in the in the generation of Lassie that I that I visited that I came into. I did a couple episodes. Uh, they brought me back again once for another recurring the same recur, reprising the same role in another episode uh, uh-huh. that starred uh, actually uh, Aaron Murphy uh, in it. Oh, wow. He was the guest star in that ep- second episode. But yeah, it was fun. I mean, gosh. You know, being around such a classic character, the the, the famous dog Lassie. I mean, yeah. God, you know, that was a, a n- nice feather in the classic, the classic, you know, TV show uh, cap to have that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's true. I, I was in a few cult cult shows. I mean, uh, even you know, um, uh, Night Gallery was a was a cult show. And, right. Uh, uh, gosh, yeah, there was a few of them like that. So yeah, I, I was very fortunate. And you know, honestly, it I. I I did good work, you know, and and I, I have that to stand on. Uh, you know, I, I I showed up with the goods. I, I produced <laughs> the, the the honest emotions and the tears. Yes, and, you, know, you, yes. you can deliver that. You deliver that in Hollywood. You know, especially as a kid. You know, you you will be working. So yes, yeah. absolutely. So really quick, let's go into this kind of this subject a little bit with the cult classics that you have, and obviously. A lot of them have been resurfacing as remakes and so forth. And I kind of saw and heard that uh, they're wanting to do that with Kung Fu. What is your thoughts on a remake of that? Well, okay, so yeah, there's two There's two things happening right now. There's a TV series that the CW is doing, uh, which is Warner Brothers CBS co-venture uh-huh. uh, CW. And uh, they're doing a, a – they, it was supposed to just be a pilot, but because of COVID and stuff, they just decided to go ahead – and put it to uh, to series directly rather than trying to um, test out if people want to see a series by just producing the pilot. They're actually doing a, a 13, a, at least 13 episodes from my, my understanding. Mm-hmm. And there is a feature film uh, that's being done at Universal, a uh, totally separate group of people putting that together, but it's still the same property. It's still called Kung Fu. Now, the TV series I know a little bit about. I read the pilot script. 
I was actually asked if there was a role. My agent said to me, if there's a role in here that you'd like to do, let me know and I'll get you in. I read the script, and strangely, there wasn't a single character in the pilot uh, that I was right for. So I had wow. to just decline uh, that, that, uh, that nice offer, um, but uh, because there, you know, would have been, there wasn't anything in it. Um, I don't know anything about the feature film. I don't know what direction they're taking, whether they're making it a period piece or whether they're, they're contemporizing it. The, uh -huh. the TV series, however, is, takes place in the present. Uh, it has a female uh, Chinese-American uh, character, a uh, young woman who uh, goes to China with her family on a, on a you know, let's, let's, let's explore our roots kind of a vacation, and she stays. She stays in China. Her, her family comes back to the U.S., to San Francisco, and she stays in China and becomes a Shaolin student with a female uh, master. Mm -hmm. and, um, and after being there for three years, she decides to go back to the U.S. and comes back to find that her family is being uh, threatened by something, and she has to then, uh, well, she has to defend her family, and she also has to wreak vengeance on the person who kills her master. Um, oh, that wow. last bit, that thing about having had her master killed, that is the only thing in this new show that bears any relation to the original series in terms of tone, in terms of uh, storyline. David Carradine put it best when he said that Kung Fu was an anti-revenge series. Uh -huh. Anti-revenge. Yeah. And this thing is the opposite. It's got a revenge wow. story revenge story built into it and so unless they can dig deep get some good writing going and and try to bring in some of those elements that we already talked about on your show earlier um you know the spiritual aspects of it and the character the integrity of a person yes, who is trying yes. to do the right thing um based on you know ancient values um i don't think they're going to really pull in the the old audience or frankly even a new audience with the same uh the same uh, resonance that you know that it has to have to be something that people will take in, as we were saying earlier too. So right. I, I wish I could say better things about it, um, but I, I, I have yet to see something that makes me excited. But so that's know, all I have to say. Now it's unfortunate. I, I wish I, I shouldn't be saying bad things about something that's related to my story, my past. But um, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt uh, if the series takes a turn and they and they start writing some interesting episodes i'll certainly be happy to see that but not in the pilot yet so so let's go into the final question the one thing that you know i wanted to point out continuing off of uh when we were talking about uh remakes and so forth i think the problem with current remakes that they're they're doing is they are sticking to somewhat of the story but they're not sticking to the emotions of the story exactly yeah. and and that's where i kind of lose it and i know every generation says that but it, it's kind of like and i don't know why this clicks in my head but it's kind of like karate kid yeah when you wow when yes you look at the original yes. karate kids you know yes that's what i grew up with but the emotions that you had in that we're just so dynamic and you you can't you you can't get away from Mr. Miyagi sitting there going wax on and wax off. You can't get away from that. And right. so when they remake it and they try to do it again, it just doesn't have the same feel because yeah. the characteristics aren't the same. So I think that when they do a remake of any project, especially with kung fu, the only way I think they're going to get it right is if they 
they stick to that emotional impact exactly that it had, yeah you know i mean because that's an that's such a huge quality thing of that brand of that story and without that then it's lacking right Absolutely. Right. So I agree with right. you. I just wanted to make that point that I agree with you on that. And so I don't want you to, I, I you really shouldn't, in my opinion, feel, um, feel bad about having an opinion about yeah. that pilot. Cause I would be in the same boat. Yeah. I, even as a well, viewer, I would be in the same boat. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I want, I want, well, first of all, I want people to succeed. And I, and I also think like you were saying, that is an important character for yes. people to see. It mm -hmm. would be a very interesting thing to watch a character like that make those kinds of, have those kinds of challenges and be able to make choices from the perspective of someone who has that kind of training in their lives. You know, that's right. what made it fascinating to watch. What's he going to do? What is Kane going to do next? You know, how is yes. he going to get himself out of this situation? Oh my gosh, you know. And you cared about this humble guy. He did not have pretenses. He was, he was, like I said earlier, he was trying to do his. He was always trying to do the best good as they could without without ego, you know. And right. yeah, that's that's fascinating, you know. So uh, it would be great if, if 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 someone captured that again. And like I I do have a story that is 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 that. So so Absolutely. I look forward to having an opportunity to be able to. Um, See where I can take that sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, where are so? What have you got going on now? Do you have anything planned at this point as far as future stuff coming up? Well, uh, so I've got a, an agent in London and an agent in LA and New York uh, who um, I let them know that I'm you know out there again and, and ready. And they've been sending me things. I've been sending self tapes out. That's the new way that actors read for things is they they create a video of themselves at home. Right. And then they send it uh, to be seen by the casting directors, which is, of course, a much more efficient way of doing it. Um, and I'm also, well, so, so something's going to happen there, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know. Right. Uh, you have to believe it's going to, otherwise don't, don't do it. <laughs> so you yeah. have to always believe that something's going to happen that, in that direction. Um, and I'm approaching it from, a, you know, like I said, the, the maturity of my age, my, my late middle age years. Uh, so I'm looking at some cool character work that, that I'm looking forward to do. And then the, the memoirs that I'm... Um, shopping i'm trying to find a uh, publisher for that as well i don't want to self-publish i think that the book deserves a, a real bona fide publisher so uh that's a world that i know very little about the, the literary world but um again part of my journey now is to be open to the help of others and to realize that i cannot cannot do it by myself i was a one-man show in my in my uh home entertainment uh, design and installation business but that i've evolved out of that now and i realize that it does take a village and that I'm, and that I really need to allow myself to help, uh, to be helped by other people who want to help. You know, so people get joy out of helping, yes. and I need to, I need to find people like that who will, uh, who will help push, push my thing along. And if I can help them, I will be fulfilled. Absolutely. Well, you've you've gathered two new friends in yes! your life, so you can yeah, definitely count you. on us to work together. Thank you. That's that's really great. Well, I'm I'm really uh, happy to have met you guys, and really appreciate so much uh, being on your show. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you for being on the show. This has yes. been a complete honor. Uh, we oh, yeah. were <laughs> very excited when uh, we we got this opportunity to interview you, and reliving those childhood moments, and and just regaining those those shows and those experiences. And so we appreciate that. And we appreciate all that you are and, uh, and where you are and where you're going. So thank you so much for that experience. Wow. How, how lovely. You, that's really, really kind words. I'm very grateful. 
Thank you. And uh, really, you guys made it a pleasure for me, too. So obviously, you guys are really good at what you do. I'm really well, happy to you. hear that. That means so much. And I'm yes, I'll admit, I'm having a complete moment right now because I'm just... I'm listening and just feeling, and it's a positive. So, yes, thank you so thank much you for so that. Much. Well, my friend, thank you so much for being on our show. We really enjoyed this. And uh, best well wishes, and you guys stay safe and strong over there. And we're definitely going to be in touch with you. Look forward to it. Thank you. You know, the best phrase ever spoken anything goes with young grasshopper. Loving the classics, that is what makes up the real side of Chris and Will. People always say our story is the best, and our home is the most amazing story ever told. So I love the classics too. Of course! Well, we want to thank Rodimus for coming on our show and giving us another great episode of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. Go to our official website at chrisandwill.com, Instagram at chris.and.will, and Facebook under The Real Prince Charming. We do want to thank all of you for joining us, of course, and keeping us going. We really appreciate you guys. Join us again soon for another great episode of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. Take care of yourself and always remember we love you, we thank you, and remember to love yourself and the world will love you in return. But for now, and until another episode for next week, we gotta go. Bye! Bye! Today's episode was a Chris Will production, broadcasted live on several media platforms. Show hosts Christopher L. Ante and William Ramos Jr. Today's show guest was Rodimus Para. The show introduction voiceover was done by Tony Ross. Produced by Chris Will, a Cali, New York company. Copyright Chris Will, all rights reserved. ChrisandWill.com for contact details. Produced November of 2020.